A couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation with a retired Air Force pilot about a life-altering experience he had had while serving in Iraq. He was given a night mission, and typically multiple planes go out together, but on this occasion, his plane was going to be the only one to fly low into what they call the strike zone. Uh, and that meant that his plane, and only his plane, would be the target in the sky for anti-aircraft fire. And there was, he knew that there would be significant anti-aircraft fire. It was known to be a heavily defensed area. And he was afraid. In fact, uh, he was so afraid that as he was doing the final checks on his plane, he considered sabotaging his aircraft, breaking his plane so that he wouldn't have to go that night. And as he was going through that routine, he heard the Lord speak with deepest seriousness, what is the worst thing that could happen tonight? He knew the answer, I could die. That's what he said, I could die. And the Lord answered, yes. You could die. And after that, what happens next? He was a Christian. He knew this was the voice of the Lord. And the answer to God's question began to fill his mind. After death, embraced. And peace washed through his soul. And he climbed into the plane. And the plane was hit. Obviously, he made it back because he told me the story. What he experienced there is something that we all experience in some way, in some measure. What the Bible calls the sufferings of this present time, they are arrayed against us. We all encounter the sufferings of this present time. And the forces of darkness use the fear and the threat of these things, the fear of death and the threat of suffering, as weapons to intimidate us, to drive us. Uh, suffering and the fear of death, those were the primary identity markers of those in the lineage of Adam and Eve. That was part of our curse, to have a life and enter a life of suffering and death. Fallen and cursed was the nature of the curse. So from the fall in Genesis 3, the fear of suffering and death has dogged us. But this is what we have been redeemed and ransomed from. But they remain so powerful. They remain so powerful because they're part of the world we live in. It, it's the nature of our being in the world is that these things are they're around us and they're coded into us. And their threat, always around us, carries an underlying lie. But because we're redeemed and ransomed, these things have become a lie. It's a theft. And the lie is that suffering and death mean you are not beloved. If you experience these things, then you're not loved. That means you're not God's children. 
And so the sufferings of our life, they point, they shout, and they identify, and they say, fallen, fallen, you're fallen. That's what the world is. So to confront this ongoing assault on the sons and the daughters of God, children of the kingdom, the Lord gave his people through the Apostle Paul what may be the single most soul-encouraging chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. And we go there today as we're exploring throughout Epiphany the blessings of being in Christ, the blessings, the benefits of being in Christ Jesus. So that's where we are, Romans chapter 8. But uh, our passage is the conclusion of the chapter, verses 31 to 39. But we need to situate it for a moment. Through chapters 5 to 7 of Romans, Paul has shown how Jesus has made peace available through Jesus. Peace to all who were in Adam, who were dead in sin, his fallen kin. By faith in Christ, he grants us a new name. He grants us a new identity. No longer heirs of Adam and Eve. Heirs of Christ. No longer dead in sin. But as heirs of God, we are alive in Christ. And these blessings are secure. These blessings are guaranteed for us in everlasting life. Uh, and yet, we still live in the same bodies that we were given. As we entered the fallen order, we have the same bodies, the same minds. They're still, the, our bodies are still the means by which we interact with the, the order we live in. And so we carry with us also consciousness that we keep sinning. We keep sinning. We keep taking cues from the world that is set against Christ. We have habits of mind. We have habits of body that, that are rightly judged in God's law of good and evil. They're rightly judged as evil. And so we have disequilibrium. We have cognitive dissonance. If you like those terms, it means we have conflicting desires. We want and we act contrary to who we are and want to become. And so this is distressing. This is the dissonance. It's distressing to us. It makes us unhappy. We often have misery. And so because of that, we need encouragement. We need encouragement. And so we come then to chapter 8, and we come in at Romans 8.31, and there's a rhetorical question there. What shall we say then to these things? What then do we say to these things? And Paul is he's referring back to working out this struggle. The, the these things. It refers to the whole preceding discussion. These things. What shall we say? How do we go forward? How do we live with the facts in view? Namely, to be specific, the facts. Verses 15 to 17. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption 
as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is the new reality. And if we're children, then heirs, children receive the inheritance. We're heirs of God. We're fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So we're beloved children. But children who still suffer. Verse 18. We have sufferings of this present time that are not to be compared with the glory to be revealed. And verse 20. We live in a realm that is subjected to futility. It's in bondage to corruption. And it's a whole creation that's groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Significant groanings. And we likewise, verse 23, we also groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the fulfillment of our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So, what shall we say? How do we go forward in and through bodily and emotional suffering as we walk our way in the world that's still subjected to futility and the weight of death? That is the question. How do we go forward? How do we walk this journey through a world subject to futility? The answer is a perspective shift. It's an alignment with what is true. How do we go forward? We align with what is true. There's nothing, there's no new reality that's introduced in Romans chapter 8. Nothing that wasn't stated previously. The, fundam, the fundamental truth is already in place. Throughout the chapter, he's gesturing back to things he's already said. We have a new identity because God's Spirit is in us. We are in Christ. But it's our thinking that lags behind. We are in Christ. Our understanding of what this means for us lags behind. Sanctification, fancy church word. It could also be called holification. Sanctifying means holy. The process of becoming holy, enjoying the wonderful, uh, holy benefits of our being in Christ. It's the slow outworking. It's the, the catching up of our minds and living to what is already in place, to what's real, to our being in Christ. It's growing into our restored life in Christ. We don't become more in Christ than we are right now. We grow into the reality of it. We grow into living it out. So what shall we say to these things? There's not a new factor. It's aligning with what is true. And what is true? If God is for us, Verse 31, God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who has any real standing 
against us. Do you hear the invitation? Look at yourself. Look at your circumstances differently. That's what we're invited to. The greatest fact, compared with which all other facts, all other considerations pale and wither, is that God our maker and the owner of all things is for you. It's the greatest fact. It's the most important thing about you. The owner of all things is for you. He is on your side, and he can't be more on your side than he is right now. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with Christ, graciously give us all things? So God did the utmost to move us to move you out from Adam's nature and into Christ. And so now as, he, as the Father relates to Jesus Christ, you are included in his favor and delight. You are always included in his favorable relationship in that Trinitarian nature. So if God has dealt with the charges against you, he's dealt with with the charges against you. It's now grace and favor that he sets on you. God is for you. And so verses 33 to 34, follow the flow of thought. Who shall then bring any charge against God's elect? And who is to condemn? God is the one who decides guilt and acquittal. He is the judge. Uh, and so here, the wonder of it is, the one who suffered punishment on our behalf, that is, who took the righteous condemnation, the very one who took the condemnation, is the very one seated at the right hand of God, stating who is acquitted. Uh, the phrasing, Paul's phrasing, it's designed to draw attention to almost amusement, to give us joy and laughter at the situation. If we could grasp it, we would see the situation that we commonly experience is, it doesn't feel this way, but it is in fact ridiculous. There can be no charge against us. There can be no condemnation because we are already in Christ. So as in Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I hope you're picturing, us, picturing this. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are seated with the judge. And so if anyone were to bring a charge and to say that you are worthy of condemnation, They must po you're not standing next to them. They must point at Christ Jesus. That's where we are. Someone bringing a charge has to point at God and say, you are worthy of condemnation. To accuse one who is in Christ is to point the finger at the Holy One Himself who's already taken the judgment. 
It's amazing. This should blow our minds and cause us to laugh. Any charge against me is against the Holy One. What? So Paul can drive home the glorious truth that we must align with, we need to align with. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? If God is for us, if God has drawn us to himself and he said, this one is mine, who or what is more powerful? Let it sink in. Christ Jesus loves you. The Father takes utmost joy in you. The Holy Spirit, His Spirit embraces, pours the sweetness of God in you. So whomever or whatever seeks your destruction, and that's real, or seeks your condemnation, has opposed the love of God. Whatever, whomever seeks your destruction opposes the love of God because his love is set on you. So let's consider then in this flow of thought what comes against us to pull us away from the love of God. Verse 35, Paul raises them. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. These are enemies from every sort of quarter. Personal, natural. They're the things of the fallen realm. Shall the things that are in rebellion against God, those things set against him, including the betrayals and the decay of our own bodies, shall these things Triumph over the love of Christ? He goes on, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So because we are in Christ, hostility from a world that has fallen is to be expected. So wherever there's rebellion against Christ, Wherever there is a posture of resistance, wherever there's hatred towards him, there's going to be malice and there's going to be attack directed against the ones who are in him, inseparable from him. It must be this way. It must be the case. So again, align your thinking with reality. That's what we're called to do. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, every hardship you encounter is from an unjust enemy. Every hardship is from unjust hatred. Hardships are part of the realm, fallen order. And we bring many of these miseries upon ourselves because we follow unholy patterns, thought, habits, but even if we generate the misery, or if it comes from broken nature, or if it comes from evil, all, we can say, truly, of all those things, that's part of the corrupted order. Even the corrupted order that still resides here, 
but we are not to agree with them. We're not to agree with the assessments. We're not to agree with the valuation of the corrupted order, even if that resides right here. We're not to agree with the accusation that we're still defined by fallenness and death. That's an accusation. Because that, in fact, is what we have renounced. We're in process of aligning with the new reality. We're in process of letting the truth sink in. Our sanctification. So we're drawn then to a powerful word in verse 37. No. Powerful. I still am learning it. No. This is the word of rejecting false claims. When suffering in the fear of death point and they shout and they call you fallen, wherever they comes from, wherever the accusation comes from, no is the word. No is the word of renouncing. No. When evil assails me, though fear rises up within me. We heard this in Psalm 27. Though an army encamp against me, though my enemies assail me, though war rises against me, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. A conqueror is one who uh, overcomes through a great struggle. We're more than that. We are more than those who overcome through a great struggle because we have been adopted by God and we've been made alive in Christ. The contest for identity is over. So the things that we, we consider struggles, it's not that we're conquerors in those things. That's already decided. We're more than conquerors. There is a new reality. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 38, I'm sure. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. In all creation. Nothing in all creation. No being, no circumstance, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the reality. Nothing can. We're more than conquerors. There's nothing that actually threatens our identity in Christ Jesus with a true threat. So what Paul is saying, and I am echoing, what God has told us through his word is the battleground has shifted. Brother and sister in Christ, because this is yours, brother and sister in Christ, your soul is safe in the hands of the Almighty God. Your soul is safe. The battle is for your mind. Your soul is safe. The battle is for your mind. It's for how you think and how you live. 
It's about your joy and your fruitfulness. It's about how much your life will show forth who God is, the character of God, evidenced in you. And the enemy and the fallen order is aimed to make you dim. Because if evil can convince you, whether this is conscious evil or just an evil order, if evil can convince you that you are defined by sin and fear, that you are not, in fact, secure in the hands of the loving God, if he might change his mind about you, if they can convince you of that, then it can keep you feeling miserable all the days of your earthly life. And that is the goal of evil for the Christian. So what then shall we say to these things? Align your thinking, that's where the battle is, align your thinking with what is true. Nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every day you're bombarded with messages that say otherwise. The more, the more that you receive and give authority to those messages in your life, the more you will struggle to live in the exhilarating joy and the peace that's yours in Christ. The freedom that we have in God. But the more that you let the word of God into your mind, that you let the word of God speak to you, and you, you yield your habits of thought and your patterns of thought to the Spirit, the peace of Christ will dwell in you richly. And you'll be fruitful. You don't produce the fruit yourself. You just will be fruitful. And you will be, as we are told, conformed more and more into the very image of the Son, the one in whom we are. Amen.